Welcome back to Over the Top, a great war podcast. All right, folks, this episode is going to be about the Armenian Genocide. And I want to start this right out the gate with a warning. This episode will be dark. It will contain explicit graphic descriptions of murder and rape. So I just wanted to give everyone a warning before I start getting into this. This is a topic you can't sugarcoat. It has to be told the way it happened. And because this episode is so dark, I've already got into this mindset to talk about it. So I'm just going to skip past this admin update, but that will resume on the next episode. Folks, I'm not a psychologist, philosopher, or a preacher, but I am middle-aged. And with middle age, I've gained some wisdom and retained a little bit of knowledge about the way the world should work. Despite what your beliefs are, it's important to understand that evil does walk amongst us. And the type of evil I'm referring to is moral evil, the cause of human suffering. Human suffering can come in many forms, and this episode will describe what could be the worst of all moral evils. At one point, I believe that I hated at least a few people in my life that have caused me harm or intended to cause me harm. But being that I never had any thoughts whatsoever of murdering, pillaging, raping, or exterminating those people and their family, well, it turns out I didn't really hate anybody. I just disliked them. And I know this because I never wished or intended to commit any sort of moral evil upon them. It's okay to dislike or disagree with a person. I think that's normal. Just as long as you can respect them and yourself enough not to hate them. Because hate all too often leads to human suffering. Now, here's where the Great War comes into this. By December 1914, Turkey had already chosen a side. Russia was now their enemy. However, Russia had good relations with the Armenians. Russia, as we know, was pushing into the Caucasus Mountains that bordered eastern Turkey, which also had a big population of Armenians. The Turkish Third Army launched a full-scale offensive in late December with around 100,000 soldiers. More than 80,000 of those Turkish soldiers were either killed or taken prisoner. Russians also took around 40,000 casualties, but because they were reinforcing their western front, they were forced to hold the mountain range instead of giving chase to the Turks. But the damage was done. The Turkish Third Army was destroyed. And they needed a scapegoat for this humiliating defeat they just suffered. And that scapegoat was the Armenians. And here was Turkey's reasoning. One, they accused the Armenians who were fighting with the Turks of deserting the Third Army, leaving them vulnerable to Russian attacks. And two, there were two volunteer Armenian brigades fighting with the Russians in the mountains. This became the official cause of their defeat. It was reported there was an Armenian plot against Turkey. This immediately triggered attacks on Turkish villages by Turkish Chetes. The Chetes were criminals let out of prison in 1914 who were recruited for murder or theft. They became the government's killing squad. In December of 1914, the German consul in Erzurum reported that a band of Chetes abducted a priest from a church, then blew his head off with a shotgun in public. 
This same person also warned his boss, Joseph Schwartz, in Constantinople via telegram that an old hatred is rising again. And now, after the Third Army's defeat, every Armenian, every single one, man, woman, child, old and young, was a target for the Shetes and the Turkish army. But I need to go back in time before the defeat of the Third Army in 1914, because the hatred the Turks had towards the Armenians goes back much farther than the Great War. By 1913, the Ottoman Empire stretched far from the Black Sea to the sacred city of Mecca. Modern-day Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey all stood under its borders. We're talking multiple ethnic groups here. But the main focus was on religion. Out of the estimated total population of 18.5 million people, there was 15 million Muslims, 1.7 million Greek Orthodox, and 1.2 million Armenians who were divided into Armenian Orthodox and Armenian Catholics. Also, there was an estimated 200,000 Jews and 65,000 various other denominations. Now, these numbers may not have been to the exact T, but it's estimated to be close to it, and I think you can get the picture. These numbers overall translate to, if you weren't a Muslim and you were living within the Ottoman Empire's borders, then you weren't so much welcome. After the Young Turks Revolution in 1908, the old Sultan Abdul Hamid was out, and the empire was now being ran by the Committee of Union and Progress, or the CUP. Two men pretty much controlled the CUP in 1914, the Minister of Interior, Mehmed Talat, and the Minister of War, Ishmael Enver. Talat and his men had one vision, to Turkify the empire. They despised any non-Turkish element which included Greeks, Assyrians, and Armenians. Animosity grew against any minority who held any sort of position with a voice. And the hostility boiled even hotter against the Armenians due to the fact that they had a long-standing relationship with Russia. The Ottoman Empire had been at war with Russia on multiple occasions. The Crimean War in the, in the 1850s, then again in 1877. Both times Britain and France intervened stopping Russia from advancing. When the empire's eastern provinces fell to Russia, the Armenians welcomed them with open arms because before this they were subject to Kurdish Muslim aggression. And now that Christian Russians were present, this was a relief to them. After a post-war treaty, the Armenians were again subject to Kurdish attacks. Violence on Armenian villages pretty much continued up through the outbreak of the Great War. The Ottoman Empire overall just didn't like Russia and had a bad relationship with them. This also helped persuade the Ottomans to side with Germany when they entered the war. And also why Russia really wanted Constantinople for themselves if the Allies made it through the Dardanelles. Going back to December 1914, Chetes began to recruit prisoners in Kurdish populations, offering full amnesty for any and all past crimes if they sign up and commit new ones. It was also around this time frame that Talat was said to have had a meeting with senior members of the CUP with plans of systematically eradicating the Armenian population. Ottoman religious leaders not only viewed Armenians as their personal enemy, 
they were also viewed as enemies of God. The Ottoman Empire's solution to the problem? Deportations. And this takes us to April of 1915. The two main cities to be targeted first were Zaitun and Van. On April 8th, the army entered the city of Zaitun and pulled out all the Armenians from their homes, some of them with nothing but the clothes on their backs. Others who were able to gather personal belongings considered themselves lucky at first, but soon they would come to realize that personal belongings didn't matter at that point. Around 12,000 citizens were forced marched to either Konya or Reregli, and another estimated 6,000 were sent towards Aleppo. And what was happening was all the Muslim refugees from the Balkans war were brought in to take over the Armenians' homes. A survivor of this, a young girl at the time, remembers a wealthy elderly man walking in line with two donkeys, which is all that he was left with. She also remembers the refugees moving in as the Armenians were still there. She recalls them chopping down all the fruit trees that once filled their bellies to now fuel their fires. They were being forced into a death march led by Turkish soldiers who forbid any town they passed through from giving the so-called enemy of God any food or water. The city of Van got word of the deportations in Zaitun and started an uprising. On April 17th, bands of Chetes housed in barracks not far away were ordered to make their way into Van. On April 20th, the Armenians in Van barricaded themselves in their homes. Those who did not were executed by Chetes. One by one, they were either shot, stabbed, or beaten to death. It was reported that the Chetes allowed their dogs to rip apart and feast off the dead bodies. The dogs were ripping apart abdomens with their teeth and clawing at the organs as if they were toys. Other bodies had their heads and limbs ghastly ripped open as the sharp teeth from the dogs gnawed at the flesh down to the bone. It was said that some people were still alive when they were being fed to the dogs. The animals began to fight over the bodies, and it was only then that the army decided to burn them. The stand that the Armenians put up lasted almost a month. Around 1,500 armed Armenians held off around 5,000 Chetes and Turkish regulars. The key to the successful stand was that they were somehow able to dispatch messages to the Russians requesting help. And groups of Russians made it to Van on May 19th, forcing the Chetes and the soldiers to flee. Those who didn't barricade themselves had all been slaughtered. There's no telling what the actual number was. The Russians claim to have collected thousands of bodies, but I've yet to find any solid number to be confirmed. On April 24th, 1915, the genocide began. Even though in reality, it had already begun. A wave of coordinated arrests took place throughout Constantinople. Editors of an Ar Armenian newspaper, doctors, writers, teachers, and merchants all were arrested and transported by train to a city about 12 miles outside the capital. The Armenians who were arrested were even forced to buy their own train tickets. This was the official beginning of the Turkish government's plan to deport all Armenians. Most would end up dying on the death march and wouldn't even see the end destination. Arrests continued through the next couple weeks all throughout the provinces. And I think you can imagine what happened to those who were arrested. 
Some were executed by firing squad. Some were shot in the head. Some were hung in public. It was going to be a grim death. And all those who weren't arrested were deported and forced to march. Men were sent one way and the women another. The sick were falling over one by one left to die. Several pregnant women gave birth during the march and either drowned the baby or strangled it with the umbilical cord as they had no means to care for anyone at this point, much less a newborn. It was reported that the Chetes and soldiers were even taking the newborn right from the hands of whoever delivered it, taking it by the legs and swinging its head onto a rock. Only pure evil can do such things. An American Red Cross worker described the horrible state of welfare the Armenians who arrived in, in Konya were in. She was told that a baby was born on a train weeks before, but the mother threw it out the window to save the baby from any suffering it would have to endure. As the men were being rounded up, many were tortured. Soldiers would hold a man down while other soldiers drove nails into their fingers and toes, nailing them to the floor. Men were nailed to wooden planks, then had all their eyelashes, hair, teeth, and nails pulled out. They were then hung upside down. Obviously, most didn't survive this. The men were also introduced to a torture method called bastinado. This was an ancient form of torture where a person would have their feet repeatedly whipped or beaten on. In ancient Roman times, 20 lashings was the normal punishment for crimes. The Armenians were receiving over 100, often passing out. Those who survived had to have their toes amputated. In the village of Harput, 800 men had managed to survive torture and imprisonment. They were then marched into the desert. The soldiers began to shoot and execute them, but were suddenly halted. They were told not to waste any more rounds, just bayonet the rest. One man miraculously survived and confirmed what took place. I think we can agree what the intentions of the deportation was. They didn't intend for most Armenians to survive the march. And if they did make it to the end destination, life would not get better for them anytime soon. By June 1915, news of massacres made its way around the world. The Allied leaders condemned Turkey for this and said they would hold any members of the Ottoman Empire responsible for these crimes. We'll find out if that really happened. The Turkish government replied with denial, saying these accusations were false and that the Triple Entente, France, Britain, and Russia were spreading nothing but lies. Turkey was now at war with the Allies and currently were fighting the French, Australian, and New Zealand troops on their own turf. Naturally, they weren't about to admit anything to the Allies. Instead, they just brushed it off, claiming lies. Now again, this is going to get graphic, but it needs to be told. What took place while the soldiers were force marching the Armenians was not only a crime against humanity, again, it was pure evil. Even before the deportation, sexual violence was common. Any non-Turkish or Muslim woman would have been considered vulnerable and it wouldn't have been safe for them to travel anywhere alone. There was multiple reports of frequent sexual violence by police officials when searching Armenian homes for weapons. And during the deportation, you'll have to consider that these violent acts increased drastically. In March of 1915, all the men were rounded up in the city of Tabriz and moved out, 
After moving all the men out, the soldiers returned to rape the females. Even children younger than eight years of age were not spared, along with elderly women who were said to have been in their mid-80s. On the march, if a young girl was considered pretty, they were often taken from the group and sold to Muslim villages they passed through. After, of course, being raped most, multiple times by soldiers in Chetes. If a woman was too old or too weak to walk, they were pulled aside and executed. Sometimes the soldiers wouldn't expend their ammo, so they would club the skulls with the butts of their rifles until it broke open, brains spilling out. All of this in front of other women and children. It was common for a woman or child to be brutally raped in front of her family, often repeatedly. If a young girl was raped and was unable to walk, the soldiers or chetes would just shoot them. By the end of June, the deportations were noticeable and the news had spread everywhere. The Ottomans couldn't hide these crimes against humanity. Red Cross workers were frantically wiring message to the consuls in Constantinople. Even the Germans were receiving reports of the human suffering. Leslie Davis, an American stationed in Harput, wrote a wire saying, The full meaning of such an order can scarcely be imaged by those who are not familiar with the peculiar conditions of this isolated region. A massacre, however horrible the word may sound, would be humane in comparison with it. In a massacre, many escape but a wholesale deportation of this kind in this country means a lingering and perhaps even more dreadful death for nearly everyone." End quote. A German stationed in Trebizond wrote to the German embassy in Constantinople saying, a mass transport of this kind for hundreds of kilometers along routes that are lacking any accommodation and supplies and where 300 kilometers must count as being completely infested with typhus fever would claim enormous numbers of victims. I am absolutely no friend of the Armenians, but I consider myself to be obliged to point out to your excellency the dangers of this mass deportation from the standpoint of humanity and prestige." End quote. The Armenians weren't being deported to a new home. They were being forced on a death march. The process for the so-called so-called deportations was the same for every village. One day they were living somewhat peacefully, the next day they were being told they must leave. Again, women and children were marched ahead while the men were moved to a separate area to be killed or tortured. A man named Sarkis Manukian miraculously survived a slaughter because he spoke Kurdish and managed to persuade one of the Kurds to take pity on him. Sarkis said that all the men, estimating to be around 2,000, were taken to a valley and told they were now to die. The men were stripped down naked. Then with knives and axes, the Kurds began to hack off their heads, row after row, decapitating all the men. The bodies were then thrown into ditches, like waste being thrown into a dump. Again, at this point, there was no hiding these crimes. People were witnessing firsthand the murders, like the German consul in Adana, Eugene Bouge. He told the embassy that he personally witnessed around 100 Turkish soldiers shooting several hundred Armenians and then beating the rest to death with the butts of their rifles. Now, 
You don't beat somebody to death with the butt of your rifle with continuous blows to the legs and arms. They were bashing the skulls open. Imagine having your loved one right in front of you, getting their head bashed in until it cracked open. I remind you again that evil does exist. Now think about the women and especially the pregnant women. During these marches, there was no food or water being provided, only what they had taken or what they could gather from the desert when they stopped, which was pretty much nothing. They were starving. Pregnant women who gave birth were forced to kill their newborn because it would have just been a matter of day or two of suffering and the baby and the baby would be dead. A mother would have ended the child's life right then and there so it wouldn't have to suffer and the mother too wouldn't have to suffer. There was reports of women giving birth to twins. A mother couldn't care for a newborn, more or less care for two, so she would be forced to kill not one of her babies, but two. Young children would collapse out of starvation and sickness during the march, and all the mother could do was leave the child there, being forced to continue with the march. Or she could be shot right there and die alongside the child. But what if the mother had more than one child with them? Think about that. After seeing one child die, or several, and after having to take the life of your newborn, mothers had gone mad down the line, staring into the dark abyss created by the evil that controlled them. How would a woman ever be able to continue forward with her life after this? They had become the walking dead. In the city of Mush, which was dominated by Armenians, the women and older children were gathered in groups of 100 and then packed into homes. After the doors were sealed, the soldiers set the houses on fire, burning the victims alive. Others were tied back to back and tossed into the river. Small children and babies were just tossed into the river by themselves, immediately drowning. For 25 days straight, corpses were reported flowing down the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. The bodies that had washed up onto the shore were being eaten by vultures and wild animals. By autumn 1915, the death toll was in the hundreds of thousands. Those that did survive were forced into the desert and into concentration camps in the cities of Aleppo, Damascus, Euphrates, and Derizol. Now think about this. As winter was setting in along with snow, those who survived so far had no fuel, no winter clothing, no food, no sanitation, no medicine. Many were about to freeze to death. And think about the conditions in the summer, the heat of the desert. I mean, what's worse, overheating to death or freezing to death? The Armenians who survived so far began to kill and eat stray dogs. Women were chopping off their hair, selling it for scraps of bread. Some, out of desperation, started to eat grass, but most had dried out by then. Some were seen eating dried blood from a dead animal. Up through the spring of 1916, the slaughters continued. In April of 1916, 21 convoys were supposed to deliver refugees into Mosul. Not one single convoy arrived with a survivor. I think you get the picture overall how this went down and the sufferings that continued on. 
Miraculously, there were survivors who made it to what is now Syria. The murders drastically decreased towards the end of 1917, mainly because there wasn't much left to murder. This is how the Armenian Genocide went down in a nutshell. It's horrible, and it's tough to read about such crimes. This was not an enjoyable episode to put together, but the story has to be told. And what's even just as disgusting, in the end, there was no convictions for those responsible for orchestrating the genocide of over a million Armenians. Aside from one individual, his date with the Reaper was due. On March 15, 1921, the air was bitterly cold in Berlin as Mehmed Talat walked out of his home. He'd been living there since fleeing the Ottoman capital in a German submarine who picked him up at a harbor in Constantinople. The day didn't seem any different to him. He escaped being put on trial for crimes against humanity. He believed he couldn't be touched as most arrogant bastards do. He believed he was safe in Berlin. He began walking down the street in the western suburb part of Berlin when a young man named Sogoman Talirian, a 25-year-old student, walked up behind him, confirmed the identity, then put a pistol to Lot's head and blew his brains out. Talirian was from Erzerjan, a town 100 miles east of Erzerum. His mother, sisters, and brothers all perished in the genocide, along with 85 members of his extended family. Talirian was put on trial for this by the German government and was found not guilty on the grounds of temporary insanity for what he'd been through with the genocide. Weeks before the assassination, British and Russian intelligence had actually found the whereabouts of Talat. The British even spotted him in Stockholm, but decided not to grab him and they let him return to Berlin. Was Talirian contacted by the British or Russian intelligence with Talat's whereabouts? This will remain a mystery. Another person I must mention is Mustafa Kemal, the famed general from Gallipoli, hero to Turkey, and in 1923 became the first president of Turkey. Well, in March of 1923, he declared amnesty for all those who were convicted of the war crimes. I don't think there's even been an official recognition and apology by the Turkish government following the end of the Great War for the Armenian Genocide. Again, I'm not a psychologist to say what's right and wrong. I don't think you can hold anybody responsible today. If that were the case, you would have to march into Germany and hold Germans responsible for the Holocaust. You would have to march across America and hold white Americans responsible for the injustice and murders of black Americans, Native Americans, and others. And the list keeps on going. But we can recognize from this what hate leads to. I mean, look all around us. Turn on the news right now and see how much hate is in the world. From a person who loves history, I think we should recommend to those who have so much hate in them to read a history book and read about what hate leads to. Nothing can make the Armenian genocide right or any, any genocide at, at that. We can erect memorials and remember those who died, 
but that doesn't really make things right. Ultimately, humans have to learn the meaning of hate and what it leads to. And hopefully one day we will. And that's just my opinion on the matter. I'm going to start wrapping this episode up right here. I know this was a tough subject, very hard to listen to, but it pertains just as much to World War I as the Holocaust did to World War II. The stories must continue to be told. Thank you for all the continued support for the podcast. You fans are the best. I hope you're in good health and staying positive from all the negativity that continues to surround us. Until the next episode, take care, everyone. <laughs>